You can find stuff in shops in, in SA. You just pop a picture of that into the Chinese shopping app, and it just pops up like the same thing, but for 80 rand. Like a third of the price, or what? No, like a tenth of the price. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. It's like major I guess the thing. shipping does add a lot, and then like the retailer markup and they gotta eat all of that stuff. Everybody gotta eat. Everybody gotta eat. So I got a Nintendo Switch for my birthday, and. Nice. I've been frantically playing the Switch, Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Good. Wild, and Wild, and Pokken Tournament, which is okay, like awesome. a, it's Tekken-ish game, but it's Pokemon smacking each other up. Uh, uh, okay, that's cool. I'm excited to see what the Switch's Pokemon game is going to be like, the, you know, the main Pokemon game, not like the Detective Pikachu or whatever. Yeah, yeah, Detective Pikachu can go suck a dick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I don't, I don't want to alarm you, they're already working on, on the Switch 2, the second Switch. Really? Yeah, they really like bumped up the, I guess, production speed or something. Yeah, well, the Switch 1 is... Fine. It's got a bunch of games and a lot of indie developers, mm. uh, which is cool. That's awesome. I've been enjoying it. And just the sheer fact that it's this compact handheld device and you can be playing on it. And then you get home, you, you dock it, and suddenly it's on your TV. And you're playing the exact same game that you were just playing on the toilet is now yeah. on your TV. That's some futuristic shit. And it's also great to have like a little co-op handheld thing. Yeah, it is because I don't um, know how regularly one would use it, but um, for stuff like Mario Kart and yeah, uh, stuff like that it could be really fun. Like the the Switch has got like a little pedal at the back that you can pop out, and it stands on its own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You detach the two little controllers, and you can like you can uh, have a multiplayer battle uh, on a train or a plane or at the park or a Starbucks in the basketball court in the basket in the center of the court. While a game is going on, yeah, play the switch and it'll probably exactly. get broken. <laughs> That's the price you pay, man. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that brings us to the end of the Nintendo Switch Hour, our regular podcast where we discuss special edition Fraser's birthday. The time I actually got a switch. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's good because we've doing been doing the switch hour for so long now. Every time we do a podcast, yeah, that's yeah. the one we do uh, since '95. Um, and now one of us has a switch. That brings us to our B side production. Be positive. The positive. Positive. B movie podcast. I am your boy Louis, and I am your lad Fraser. That doesn't work as well, does it? I, I, I think your lad works. Your lad? 
This week, we're discussing an American werewolf in London. What a movie. I loved it. Man, I could talk about this movie uh, for ages. I the think chemistry you're, you're between talking David about and Jack. It's the wrong. The cinematography Louis, is you brilliant. Louis. It has like Louis. such a good mix of just Louis, like the humor and the horror and the effects were incredible. I think you misread and, like, the title. Hamlet references you and gotta, what? Uh, we're we're not doing American Werewolf in London. We're, this is the sequel. We're not American Werewolf in Paris. Uh, uh. Okay, wait, let me let me just check something on my phone here real quick. Uh, okay, American Werewolf in London. Okay, so London has 88% Rotten Tomatoes and 60 on Metacritic and Sounds good. Paris has Oh. Um that's a 7% on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> and, and a 31 on Metacritic. Oh my god. Okay. Okay, let me let me go watch that real quick. I'll just go I'll just go watch that movie that I'm really excited to talk about. Yeah. Okay. I'm back. Are you as pumped as you were when we we started? Uh You know what? I actually am. Whoa. I actually am. I'm excited to talk about an American werewolf in Paris. And I think it was a great movie, better than the first one. Okay. Just great. I love it, and I'm going to be very positive about it. Okay, good. Um, I like how you dropped the title in the episode, the title of the show. That's how people know what they're listening to. So, American Werewolf in Paris is the sequel-ish to... Loose sequel, yeah. yeah. American Werewolf in London, the 1981 werewolf extravaganza. Cult classic, cult classic. Academy Award winning, trend setting, and inspiring films. Yeah. American Werewolf in Paris is none of those things. It was made in 1998. <laughs> so a sequel that came out 17 years after the original. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you got to wait for Carl. That's how you know Carly. it's going to be good. That is not how you know it's good. That's how you know somebody bought that studio. Another another great sign is the fact that not a single person who worked on London worked on Paris. So you know oh, yeah. you're coming in with a hot, fresh take, something completely new, on something, but also canon. Yeah, something completely new and a fresh take on a classic, an award-winning film. Yeah is usually not great. And then you couple that with the 90s obsession with CGI. It's like CGI just came out in the 90s and everybody in the 90s was like, oh my God, look at that block of mesh. It looks just like it's a werewolf. I can imagine that yeah, to yeah, be yeah. real. It's not real. It looks like <laughs> shit. <laughs> the, the CG um, in this, this film movie is has a arguably worse <laughs> than the CG in Sabretooth. <laughs> Okay, whoa. A movie that was made without a budget. Uh, <laughs> and never finished, apparently, anyway. But, no, this film really has a lot of kind of trademark 90s obsessions. All the male characters are wearing flannel at all times. Yep. Uh, the soundtrack has a lot of, like, <laughs> kind of post-grunge vibes. You know the voice they did. Yep. And 
It also includes an underground rave dance scene. Of course, that's which is all the a, a requirement for any film shot in the 90s and marketed at a, a youth audience. Yeah, dude. Everybody knows someone who has been eaten at a rave. Eat, eat, eaten at a rave? Yeah. You've never been... Or eaten out. No, that would never happen at a rave. A rave is like <laughs> a bastion of uh, basic, fundamental human... Repression. No. Self-repression. Repression. Yes. Yes. It's, it's known as a it's place... It's like a Catholic mass. Yes. It's, it's a place with extra inhibitions on top of your prior inhibitions. It's a place... <laughs> it's a place where... A chastity. Chastity. Sobriety. Sobriety. The values of the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before we continue, before we get any further into what I'm sure is a slippery slope of nostalgia and broken dreams, uh, I just want to quickly take us through a plot synopsis. Please do. Three bros, American bros, are on a road trip through Europe on a journey of self-discovery. We've got Bro, whose name is Andy. We've got Buff Bro, Jake. Right? Chris, yeah. Chris, that's the same as Jake. And you've got um, Goofy Bro, Brad. <laughs> that's right. I, for, for the longest time, I thought Brad was the, was the buff one, was the surfer dude, because he looks a lot more like a Brad. We join the bros on a train where they establish both their purpose and their underlying drive within the first five minutes. Their purpose is they're in Europe on a daredevil tour because they know that the, the, That's right. the Europeans are notoriously addicted to adrenaline. Uh, and the second thing is they discuss the meaning of love. What's it all about, Louis? They don't know. Yeah. According to Chris, it's all about that badonkadonk Whereas Andy is much more reserved and he, he says he's very picky about uh, his female companionship. Andy does seem to be a bit full of it. Andy turns out to be the most self-centered man-baby I've ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> okay, so they go to Paris and Andy's about to do a bungee off the Eiffel Tower but he saves a suicidal French lady called Seraphine. Yes. They go on a quest to find her, and when they eventually do, it's at a werewolf rave. Andy gets bit. He also then transforms into a werewolf, and he has to defeat the evil, I guess, like sect of werewolves yeah. to, to free both himself and his buddy Chris, who got viciously murdered and whose soul is unfree. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what they do. All throughout, the film is littered with poorly timed jokes, lowbrow humor, and is particularly unfunny somehow. Like, some movies are bad and then they're funny. This movie tried to be funny, was bad, and then, like... <laughs> In my head, it just plays deadpan. It's, it's so much more hilarious just if you just imagine that all of these characters are just, this is their baseline. That's definitely how I'm reading it. So after Andy saves Josephine, 
uh, and this is something I want to get into, is that it's played in the film like a romantic gesture, that he's now stolen her shoe. Well, he ends up with the shoe after being knocked out and then still having the shoe. Because he really sl slammed his head into the, that girder. It literally was something from a Looney Tunes cartoon. I'm not entirely sure what exactly his plan was, since the Eiffel Tower is much wider at the base than at the top. And surely yeah. he knows that Bunjing will send him straight down? I don't think he knows that. It seems like he doesn't. What follows is he uses the shoe as sort of the inspiration to be, in his mind, Prince Charming to his Cinderella. Mm -hmm. So he heads out to find... In case you're worried about that at home, they do make the Cinderella reference explicit. Yes. No ambiguity about it. You don't have to interpret it. It's right there. The only way you can miss it is if you're on your phone. They took our jobs. So, <laughs> so he then goes on this quest <laughs> to find Seraphine and to give her her shoe back. But what ends up happening is him and his bros stalk this poor woman and then just like find her home and show up at her door and then mm -hmm. very aggressively discuss coming inside. Yeah. And it all comes off as like extremely sexually aggressive but it's played as this sort of puppy dog love, cute love story thing between Andy and mm, Seraphine. Mm, and to mm. me, it's just, this is the start of a very abusive relationship. Yeah, it's definitely 100% harassment, right? Yeah. And um, that's another one of the 90s trends that this film bravely continues, is mistaking harassment for romance yeah as if these are uh, are supposed to be like these grand gestures to win her over when he literally knows nothing about her except the fact that she is suicidal yeah that she's a nurse and that she is for some reason covered in blood yeah. when she answers the door He's got this hero complex about the whole suicidal Definitely. thing. Like he intensely wants to save her. And when questioned by Buff Bro and Goof Bro, he's just like, I don't know. I have to save her. I have to do something. This is this is the fucking hill I'm going to die on. I have to be the I man. need to fix her. All she needs is me because I'm fantastic. It's just, it's all nonsense. This dude is super selfish. The whole time his friends are helping him yeah. track down and intimidate Seraphine, he's not thankful for their assistance. Later on, when shit no. totally gets real and like werewolves are running about, people are fucking dying, his one friend's already dead, this dude just doesn't give a shit. He's like, eh, my friends help me or they don't, whatever. Didn't he like immediately abandoned Chris, uh, no, not Chris, Brad at the werewolf rave party he just goes away with seraphine doesn't give a crap about brad yeah and and then brad gets eaten brad is supposed to be our jack uh like from the first film where you got what was honestly very good practical effects for jack oh such a delight incredible effect and incredible acting and like the chemistry between david and jack was so good in american werewolf in london but that's not the movie we're talking about today. That, <laughs> you say that like a funeral director. <laughs> like, that's not the movie we're talking about today. So, <laughs> so <laughs> in the original, um, you could tell that these people were believably friends. Now, 
what happens in the sequel is that instead of the undead friend being sort of a guiding light to okay cool you've you have to end the curse you're a danger to yourself and humanity and whatever this guy is just like you have to go kill that other werewolf for me i'm not gonna appear to him Mm. because he's a french nihilist like the werewolf sect looks exactly like something from the big lebowski the german nihilists but now they're just french nihilists (laughs) werewolf guys but I would I would say, as well as being nihilists, th- there is one part of this movie that, that I kind of appreciated, is that these werewolves are not just werewolves, they are Nazi werewolves. Oh, they shit. are alt, alt-right werewolves. Whoa. In the scene where they kidnap Andy, they take him to their weird church place and try to induct him into the werewolf cult because he's obviously kind of one of them now. And they explain that their whole mission is one of purification, and thus they only choose victims who are scum because the world's governments are keeping the weak, stupid, and lazy alive through welfare and charity and medicine. So that is like 100% a supremacist, fascist ideology yeah well i i missed that i didn't pick up on that but i did i mean it's easy to miss they only mention it the once yeah i did uh pick up on the fact that they're all skinheads and that's not accidental that's that's because they're (laughs) there's because they're nazis yeah okay all right fair enough (laughs) (laughs) what ends up happening is that andy nags seraphine into going on a date with him He listens to his friend's poor dating advice on the way to the date, them assuring him that the best way to get on a good, to get on good terms with a woman is to act aloof, to not show any emotion. To wear a a baseball cap and sunglasses. Yeah, a baseball cap and sunglasses. And you know, the only people wearing sunglasses indoors are in fact on drugs. (laughs) Those are the only people. (laughs) I thought... (laughs) Uh, yeah, cool people and people on drugs. Nope. Cool people are, are all on drugs. You think they're being cool and just sort of like, uh, I'm out there. No, they're on drugs. They're hiding their eyes. Why would they hide their eyes? Now it's I either get it. they're high or they're fucking lizards. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Now I get it. Now I know finally how to be cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start being cool, guy. Thanks, American werewolf in Paris. Yeah. So <laughs> the date goes terribly. I'm a drug addict now. <laughs> uh, so the date goes terribly, especially when, and this is another one of those slapstick gags that just the film could have done without. He pulls a handkerchief out of his top uh. pocket and like a million yeah. condoms spill out. And she's like, what the fuck, dude? Like, seriously? This is like a coffee thing. What? Why are you bringing... It's, it's the middle of the day. What, what is happening? Yeah. You know? And he's like, oh, no, it's just gum. Uh, and then he does like a really fucking stupid little bit about Americans all chewing gum shaped like condoms. And then he starts chewing a condom. She yeah. gets him to blow a bubble. Condom flies away, lands in a really buff French dude's soup. Dude comes up and he's looking for some physical revenge. 
Seraphine saves Andy, and now their fates are sealed. I've got to give the movie credit for that scene, though, because uh, that's something that it does a couple of times where uh, something comedic is happening in the background and the main characters are continuing. So it's it does create kind of a layer. I mean, the gag is dumb and the foreground conversation is boring, but at least there's some kind of layering going on, right? I guess. <laughs> I guess. So, the skinheads are holding another party, an exclusive Americans-only party, at a place called... For, for Independence Day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, at a place called Club de la Lune, which is just so on the fucking nose. <laughs> right, like, the, the pub in Werewolf in London was called The Slaughtered Lamb. Yeah. And it had a wolf's head logo, so there was kind of like a bit of a dissonance, something not quite right. Here, Club de la Lune. Okay, we get it. Yeah, we got it. It's the moon. Now get your finger out of my nose. <laughs> yeah, and then Claude has this monologue about how much he loves Americans because they have a good taste and that he hopes to touch their hearts. And, yeah. and it's, all, it's all pretty on the nose. They, they're not off your nose. Just quite. They're not letting go. Let go of my fucking nose. If someone says that to me, I'm not going to a secret dungeon party with them. Absolutely not. For two reasons. One, maybe they're a vampire or a werewolf or some kind of hideous beast or just a serial killer. Two, I'm pretty sure that's a come on. Like if you say that to someone, that's like you want to get down in their drawers. That's definitely something Claude would say at the beginning of an orgy as well as at the beginning of a massacre. Yeah. It goes both ways. Yeah, it kind of does. He's very French. (laughs) Yeah, he is. So the bros go to the party looking for Seraphine and Seraphine is not there. So Buff Bro goes back to her place to check out if she's there or not. He opens a little window going to the cellar, finds her in, in a prison cell, basically. He's like, oh, I'm going to get you out of there. And she's like, no, that's not a good idea. He tells her about Andy being at the party. She's like that fucking idiot. She does a bit of an old switcheroo with Buff Bro, locking him in the cell. So this is, this is the first party at Club de la Lune. This is the... Are we still doing synopsis right now? No, I'm just discussing like freely f- letting my, my mind wander through the streets of Paris. <laughs> the vision of What the a city. flaneur. <laughs> 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 yeah, so she goes to try and save Andy because she obviously realizes that this party, which is the first one, the underground one, this party is essentially just a setup to get, you know, the, the food in the bowl for the werewolves. Yeah. She drags him off. Uh, oh, and that's when he gets bitten um, yeah, yeah, yeah. as he tries to escape. Yeah, sorry, I got mixed up there. But this is also when he leaves Brad to be munched. To die. And then never yeah. shows remorse for that, ever, not once. So, yeah, that part, if we're going to read the very deep symbolism that this movie obviously intentionally has, his run through the Paris sewers, Paris, of course, being the, the city of love, yeah. he's he's discovering the underside, the the dark, obsessive destructive underside of love and it smells like sewage yep it does so do you think that this and it's full of wolves yeah just like regular sewers and regular love 
<laughs> so do you think that this whole film is just a metaphor for Andy's growing obsession with Seraphine, which pretty much ends up with him shooting her several times, hospitalizing her, her and then like they end up together again. His aggression and stuff builds up so much that he becomes this monster. Yeah. In his mind, he transforms into this werebeast and assaults a bunch of Parisians. I think so. Yeah, I definitely think he has this kind of destructive obsession that's manifesting in his his wolf form. And it's also interesting to me that before he gets bitten, Seraphine doesn't really want anything to do with him. She's kind of trying to keep him safe, but not interested. Bucko, uh, yeah. watch it. But then, after he gets transformed, after he gets bit, she is 100% all over him. She, like, jumps on him while he's lying in bed, just takes her top off, and gropes herself with his hands. Yeah. And it's a real sudden turnaround there. So, the only thing that had changed in that time is that he has become a werewolf. So, it's almost like he had to transform to be loved by Seraphine. Because the puppy dog act wasn't working out for him. So Absolutely not. Like any good psychopath, he just switched tactics. He was like, okay, well, the pity party got me this far, but now it's time for the abuse and the Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> the uncontrollable rage and the blackouts. The blackouts and the um, waking up covered in blood. Well, his friends did tell him to try and be macho, and I guess yeah. there is nothing more macho than a werewolf. I feel like werewolves aren't explicitly a masculine thing because like how it appears at least in many werewolf feature films is that the werewolves are more of a matriarchal culture if you can say yeah, that werewolves true. have a culture. So take The Howling 2 for instance. Sturbo were werewolf bitch or were bitch or whatever. The whole universe of that worships this one ancient werewolf and she's a female and like the whole structure is built top down in that way. And you yeah. see that in many other were werewolf films where it's a matriarchal sort of system. So if anything, the werewolf is more feminine. Mm. And we do have to mention that Seraphine herself is one badass werewolf. Yeah. She's real strong. She's real brave. She bites the crap out of one of the cult werewolves. But unfortunately, because the CGI is so bad, Andy couldn't tell Jack and Seraphine apart in wolf form. Uh, yeah. So he shot her. Yeah, they just mesh together. Bit of a clipping error. <laughs> there was probably some lag. Then uh, after he shoots her, she's obviously mortally wounded right now. He goes up to her and she tells him, kill me, end my pain, eat my heart, and be cured. Which apparently is the cure for werewolfism, is to eat the heart of a werewolf. It is now. But he can't do it. He's placed in this kind of moral quandary and he, he can't follow through. Which is kind of similar to what happened with our boy David in London, where he knows he has to kill himself but can't follow through with it. But then also it kind of isn't because David couldn't kill himself out of a sense of self-preservation where Andy mm. can't kill Seraphine because of what I am assuming is a sense of ownership. Ooh. He feels responsible for her now that he's gotten her in air quotes. He's yeah. become the monster. He's taken her. And now if something bad were to happen to her, 
he is losing something. It's not about Seraphine's pain, where she's clearly, she's very clear about being suicidal. Yeah, since the beginning. And about being shot a lot, like bleeding out, dying, and just... By him. <laughs> and then he's like, nope, you're not going to die. It's not... And the problem is then that that course of action works out for him. She's fine. He's fine. They get married and jump off the Statue of Liberty. Is that what happened? There are there are two versions of the film. In one, her father appears to her in the ambulance with the cure. Yes, that's and the one I watched. And at the end, we see them having a child. Yeah. So you saw the one where they have a kid. Uh, the right, baby. the other version, I think the theatrical cut, the dad does not show up in the ambulance. It just turns out that adrenaline is the cure. Oh. The medic gives her some adrenaline, and that suppresses the werewolfing. No. Uh, and at the very end, we just see the wedding on the Statue of Liberty, and they do a bungee off her torch, which is a better place to bungee from than the Eiffel Tower. It is. Probably still not great. Probably illegal, too. Oh, yeah. Don't try it, kids. But see, that's the thing. They need the adrenaline. That's how they stay human. Fair enough. Because everything in the 90s was about adrenaline, man. Yeah, man. Extreme. That's another 90s thing that the movie does, is the extreme stuff. I'm surprised it wasn't an an American werewolf in Paris, X. An American werewolf at the X Games. Yeah. That's probably where the Teen Wolf series is going. An American werewolf in Morocco? Let's do that one. That sounds like a better one. And we're steadily moving further south. So eventually it's going to be an American hyena in Antarctica. Yes. Were hyena. A were hyena sitting there. Fucking sad. And cold as fuck. Cold as fuck and confused as to why it's there. That's going to be the darkest sequel. Yeah, yeah. It's going to have a werewolf slowly go insane all alone. I mean, there is also a little bit of visual symbolism. For instance, when Seraphine jumps on Andy, uh, we have a quick cutaway of a fly getting caught in a spider's web. Oh. Which is like a cool image, but it has literally nothing to do with their actual relationship. But then that takes it back to my theory that this whole thing is an allegory for Andy's abusive domination of Seraphine. Okay, but wait, how does that work if Seraphine is jumping on him? She's starting to let herself fall for his obsession with her. That she's she's mistaken his obsession for true caring. And also now he's the broken one and she needs to take care of him. Yeah. By giving him the heart juice. Uh, Which he doesn't want, which is fucking ungrateful. A werewolf offers so you like a blended heart. That's just valuable. There's only so many of them. Should at least take a second. And he would have loved it. He would have loved it. That scene, by the way, also featuring a cameo from, well, not, not the actress, but the character of Nurse Alex from Werewolf in London. Yes. Oh, by the way, this is the connection, by the way, between London and Paris is Seraphine is the daughter of David and Alex in the first movie and her stepfather the one i saw in the ambulance and the one who hilariously transforms on a hospital bed into a legless werewolf into a legless werewolf who is also just attached to the bed from the waist down he's really strapped in there he's really strapped and his arms are free (laughs) Uh, uh, you know who we haven't mentioned 
is Andy's one night stand, the American girl that he picks up in the bar. They get real crunk together and just really play up the shitty American tourist thing. You know, they have some fun with that. Yeah. And then they proceed to go and have sex on Jim Morrison's grave, which is goth AF. That is super goth. But he, <laughs> of course, again, he transforms into a werewolf and chows down on her. Yeah, it's funny though, in this instance, he becomes physically hot and then he turns bright red he runs into a fountain, jumps into Mm -hmm. the water and a bit of steam pops up. That's how hot he is. That's pissed me off so much because like in the original (laughs) American Werewolf in London, the transformation was agony and it was well shot and it was just the perfect werewolf transformation. And it took forever. It took forever. And in this movie, so long. it seems fun, it seems goofy, it's whimsical. I think while both films are horror comedies, the original is much darker yeah. and actually has the balls to go for a truly tragic ending. The original is just good. The comedy isn't overplayed. This, I feel, is a cash-in. Like I said last week, it's the type of movie that they made so that grandmas would get confused when buying gifts for their grandkids and just buy the wrong one. And the grandkids like, oh, yeah, I totally love this knockoff version of a good movie and the sad thing is this is an actual official sequel yeah but boy oh boy did we have anything else to mention there's the independence day massacre and all the werewolves are in monks robes that's fun i guess chris is (laughs) chris is tied to a cross in the independence day party and he escapes and like runs with the cross on his back which is completely meaningless because he isn't like a, a Christ metaphor or anything like that. Uh, yeah. But he does it. It happens. They have that fight on the train. And that's really... That's the scene. That's action-packed. It, it happens. They punch <laughs> each other a bunch. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the movie. I love that the movie, for me, ends on a close-up of Andy and Seraphine's baby. And the baby is like a literal baby, eyes closed and all that jazz. And then the eyes open and it's these massive CGI werewolf eyes on the inside. It's like way bigger than the baby. Complete yeah. <laughs> complete insanity. It's like watching Scooby-Doo. Oh man. I really saw some like resonances with Hamlet in the first one where his indecision and his inability to make a choice about killing himself leads to a lot of other people dying and then him dying tragically in front of the love of his life. Yeah. Which was great. I couldn't pick up any literary references in this one, except for Cinderella. Yeah, there was Cinderella. For like 10 minutes. And there was like a thin attempt at Romeo and Juliet, the star-crossed lovers. Uh, I mean, yeah. A little bit. V-thin. So, Louis, if you had to rate this movie out of one to five times that you are forced to uncomfortably watch Andy's weird body in his weird gray boxer shorts, how many times would you be willing to watch him flop about in his weird underwear? I'd say uh, twice at most. Yeah. I would give it... And here's the thing, is I watched this movie as a kid and it was like fundamental to my development as a werewolf person. But like, ugh, nostalgia only gets you so far. I'm gonna go with 
two and it's pushing it. I mean, okay, wait, let's let's try and be positive. There were some charming moments. <laughs> uh yeah. There were some charming moments. It is easy watching. Yeah. It's something you can throw on in the background. You know, who doesn't love seeing something that the Underworld movies now turned into like a trope of like the cult-like band of brothers werewolf team mm-hmm. of men, gnarly men. Yeah, <laughs> gnarly white supremacist men. Or Bikers. I guess wolf supremacists. Yeah, which doesn't make it okay. It was, it was a fun movie it was a fun movie i said it <laughs> no th- i there definitely are some fun scenes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it just doesn't really amount to much i guess is what is what happens yeah there's a lot of potential and i feel like if it was just cast a little bit better maybe it would play off a bit better mm. and you know me i gotta have me some practical effects on the where on the fucking monsters man don't let it age. It's bad. It's yeah. Bad. They looked so good. They won an award. They won an Academy Award for that yeah. stuff. Why not just do that again? Probably budget. And because I mean, 90s. Everyone was obsessed with a computer. It's like it's, that's they've true. never seen a computer before. I don't <laughs> um, <laughs> let, me, let me end this off with some good news. Uh, they're planning a remake. So we can we can look forward to a remake of an American Werewolf in London. No, oh, that's gonna be really good. I like that's how be positive you're being. I like it. It's nice. <laughs> it's. I am also positive about this remake. Good. <laughs> good. Then, if you have any thoughts on, on this film, you think maybe we're completely mad for thinking it's not the best thing. Tweet it at us, pop it on the Facebook page, group, whatever. The group is a closed group, so yeah. if you want in, just let us know and we'll, we'll invite you. We're, it's not like we're being exclusive or nothing. Yeah, we're not going to like put you to a test or anything like that. Yeah, you don't have to know what the title of our first unaired episode was. Secrets. And then, as always, you stay scary. Le spooky, uh, how you say, dog? <laughs> the spooky dog, just... Just, just a Scooby-Doo with a sheet pulled over him. Yeah. I thought of the best thing... Oh, God, there's a spooky dog in my actual background right now. So I thought of the best thing that we can call you from now on on yeah. the podcast is instead of Louis Roux, we call you Louis Rougarou. 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 Uh, I like that. Yeah. Louis Rougarou. Louis yeah, because it's already Lou. Yeah, my, my yeah. name surprisingly has a lot of like, you can make a, a lot of occult kind of connections. Lucifer, Lou yeah. Rue. But like Louis, uh, Rue, Lou, all you're missing is Ga, and then you're literally a werewolf in French. I need to get bitten by a Ga. You need to get bitten by that Ga. But the thing is, like, imagine if you were writing a werewolf movie, like Wolf Cop, you would mm-hmm. put that name in there. I mean, people would, would take it as a joke. Yeah, they would, but then... But I'd do it. You'd, you'd do it. That's, that's just... That's you, man. And you're like a real-life werewolf. What does it feel like? <laughs> do you bark at the moon? Uh, I, I wonder what I would be like as a werewolf. I'd be like a really lazy, fat dog. Yeah. Just like curl up and have a sweet little nap with my nose.